You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Love Talk Live. I'm your host, Jamie Bronstein, and today I have with me Tola Tawarumi. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So excited to be doing this today. Um, Dr. Tola is amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. Thanks you're, for having me. You're so welcome. And we met at a conference in New York, a media conference, um, and it was just so extraordinary, wasn't it? Absolutely. Mind-blowing. <laughs> it was. And it was so great because we all got to connect and see things that we had aligned with our careers and we're all just helping each other out and just spreading all of our messages. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. So speaking of messages, I'm going to read to you guys a little bit about Tola and then we will talk about some fascinating topics in terms of relationships. So doctor, and I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it. It's Tawarumi. Is that correct? Tisarumi, but you can just do Dr. Tola. Perfect. Dr. Tola Tisarumi. <laughs> is a psychiatrist and addiction expert who helps professionals and physicians overcome addiction, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Dr. Tola completed her residency at Columbia University in New York City and her fellowship in addiction psychiatry at Harvard. She serves on the faculty at Harvard Medical School and is an attending at Mass General Brigham McLean Hospital. She's the director of Dr. Tola and creator of Addiction Support System, an online platform community that uses a multi-step integrative therapeutic framework that incorporates extensive, extensive research, clinical practice, and listening to hundreds of patients with addiction to guide patients to a place of recovery and wellness. Dr. Tola has been featured in Medscape, the Canadian Medical Journal, the American Association of Publishing Leadership, the American Journal of Addiction, Health, E-Careers, the Washington Post, Authority Magazine, Thrive Global, List TV, and on podcasts and radio shows. So once again, <laughs> welcome. And I think you need to be a little bit more accomplished next time you come on the show. <laughs> well, thank you, Jamie. I I'm, I'm, I think I'm getting there. So radio radios will be part of it, and I guess <laughs> part of our journey then. Yes. Yes, I will. So Tola, I know you're going to be talking today. We're going to be talking about narcissists, like dating narcissists or being in a relationship with narcissists and addiction and suicidal ideation, etc. Um, but can we start with, can you share your story? How did you get into this work? Um, so, you know, it's, I guess, which part of it? That's always the question, like, which part of it? But I mean, like, for me, I think psychiatry was really like a calling. Um, when I went into training in medical school, that was the most captivating rotation for me. Um, you know, I did my internal medicine. I actually was sure I was going to be a hematologist oncologist. And I had my psychiatric rotation and I was in love. <laughs> I totally fell in love with that population. And just to see the transformation, um, I always say one of the things, great things about, you know, psychiatry is we love to know everything about you. So we're like the little nosy, nosy ones there. And, you know, we want to hear everything about your children. Journey, who you are and why you're here today, you know, and what has, you know, brought you from, you know, whether it's trauma, whether it's abuse, whether it's, you know, addiction, everything that has to do with you, because it makes sense. And for me as a psychiatrist, by the time I'm listening to your story and your journey, I could actually tell who you are and what I want to do as far as 
as far as treatment plans, you know, what we want to, if we're doing therapy, if we're doing um, medication management and things like that. So it really does help with that. And then, of course, the journey into addiction itself was more of a personal journey where my uncle who suffered from, you know, long long history of addiction and he eventually passed away from addiction and that was you know of course very you know very um devastating for my family it it's it's something you know people don't talk about you know i when i think about it you know you as stepping away from a clinician and as a niece to my uncle really i would say i just had this uncle who was fascinating he was you know when i think about him he's like this great chef you know who would cook and spend time with his family when the substances were not in you know when he was not on anything at the time but of course we know the effect of what addiction can do it ruins everything the relationships you know you just become a different individual altogether and um i think at that point and you know the stigma with that of you know this stigma with everything and mental health but you know just trying to break that stigma and awareness you know just made me feel like okay I think uh, after I think that I stepped into psychiatry in itself then I was I realized that there was opportunity to actually focus and specialize in addiction and I just jumped at it like you know I need to understand everything that they, you know they possibly can um, just to look at the treatment facets um, what are the modalities and that are available for patients out there, because at the end of the day, you want the individual to know that you are not just treating, you know, some, you know, and again, we have all the negative terms, but we say we're not just treating a substance, we're treating an individual who is a brother, uncle, you know, a wife, you know, whatever it is. So we want to identify you as an individual first before looking at, oh, this person has a substance, right? Who are you? What has brought you to where you are today? And how can we help you? So that's, that's been my journey thus far. Well, it sounds like you are helping with making sure that there isn't this stigma anymore, that there isn't this shame surrounding having an addiction because it really isn't the person's fault. You know, I always say that life happens for us, not to us. So things happen in life and they went that route, but it's also, it sounds like what you give people is hope that they don't have to live the rest of their life with an addiction. Absolutely. And the, you know, the best part about that is there is hope, you know, there is hope and we have, you know, testimonials of those who have recovered and they're living, you know, their best lives. And so it's, it's just taking that first step. And I think that's usually the first part that is the most challenging, getting you into treatment and understanding that it is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. I wish it was, but it is a journey. Um, and the saying that it takes a village to raise, you know, someone, it really is in the community of addiction where you have your peer support groups, you know, they're so important. They become your family, whether it's, you know, you're doing your groups, therapies, AA, smart recovery, anything, celebrate recovery, whatever it is you want to use, you need that family support. Um, you know, they become come in addition to your own immediate family, they become your external family. Um, so that an, as an extension to your journey to recovery. Yes. And I, um, I just I have so much respect for people that go through any of the anonymous programs. I, I have a client who's in Gamblers Anonymous, and I've learned so much about that. And I love, I think it's so beautiful, the 12 steps. And I'm just such a it is, it is so life-changing on all different levels when somebody can not just take that first step, but then stay committed. And then you have that accountability to yourself, and then you have that, the, your support with 
within everybody that's going through it as well. And then the mentors and everything. So, and then I love that when you step in and then your job, you know, from this medical point of view also, because it's so, it, it is so fascinating, right? How there is that connection to addiction, right? Yes. With the brain. Absolutely. I mean, the brain is, it's everything, right? And ability to function. And so we have our dopamine that kicks in. And, you know, we, when we talk about the reward and the pleasure, you know, um, system, really, it could be anything. You could be addicted to anything. Um, and I, I like to use even work. You could be addicted to work. There is a sense of feel good. And that's the reward pleasure kind of that we tend to see with it. So um, I think the goal is recognizing it and then taking that first step. You know, yes, we have, it's important to also identify like the, you know, there's the substance and there's also the um, behavioral part, which in your case with the, your um, client that has the gambling, it's more the behavioral than the substance itself. And so that requires, you know, extensive work in terms of psychotherapy and things like that. So, yeah. Yes. Well, we, and we could continue just on <laughs> that topic, obviously. Um, but I think the the greatest message, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to Dr. Tola is that you don't have to live like this forever. There is hope. Yes. You, it, and it is a choice, you know, like we've, we saw some amazing inspirational people, even at our, the conference we went to with amazing, beautiful stories of childhood trauma and they made a choice they can either live the rest of their life like that or live the rest of their life in such a beautiful way and giving back as well absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah okay so let's talk about um shifting gears but i guess this is another a huge population that you work with um and it's fascinating and it's about relationships um can we talk about narcissistic personality disorder what is it? How do you work with it? How do you know someone has it? Let's talk about it within the context of relationship, et cetera. Go. Sure. So, you know, I, I like to think about it, like just thinking of abuse in general, when we think about abuse, it's a pattern of a, an abusive and like coercive like behavior um, that at the end of the day, someone is trying to use it to maintain power and control over you. And when narcissistic personality kicks in, it's, um, according to the DSM, right, that's the di um, diagnosis and statistical manual for, you know, psychiatrists, it really looks at a bunch of things. So like it looks at the pattern for a need for admiration. A lot of time the person comes, they want to be um, associated with, you know, we grant with um, entitlement, sense of entitlement that they tend to present with. Um, they typically lack empathy. So they cannot, they don't have the ability to empathize with someone or understand someone else's emotions, you know, which could really be hard in, in terms of relationship because the dynamics of relationships, you want someone to understand what you're going through and what you're feeling at the time, you know, with that. Um, a person who has, you know, who is narcissistic could also be very grandiose. They feel like they're, um, they, they can tend to be exploitive, you know, of others um, taking advantage of you in different sense. And so these are very, um, very, you know, the way it even the DSM, diagnosis it is very interesting and so it's typically hard initially but you can identify those things what I always say is what you want to do with that definition right what does that mean to you in terms of relationships so I think it's important to be able to see those signs you know when you're dating uh, before you get so enmeshed in it but in 
you know, for a course, a lot of times some people, it's, it's you're already in it before you actually can identify it at that point in time. But it's important to be able to see like the signs and um, um, what you should be looking out for, because that develops like a pattern of reviews, right? Um, you know, one thing I would say for sure is, you know, if someone is telling you, you never do anything right, you know, there's, there's subtle things, they, you know, they tend to just happen. And so you kind of just want to make sure you pay attention to um, what they're saying. And, you know, there's so many others, and I'm sure we'll get to talk to talk about you know, a little more about that as well. So, yes, and I want to talk about more specifically the signs. We're going to talk about gaslighting and things like that. Something that I've been wondering recently, specifically, um, I was just in the work that I do, I was talking to a client and and the person that they're dating seems like a narcissist. And as we were talking, I was just speaking out loud my thoughts. And I said, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm wondering, I wonder what are the specific differences between a narcissist and a sociopath? Because they're very similar, right? They're charming. Yes. They lack empathy. They lack remorse. So do you know, I know sociopaths tend to be more dangerous, like in terms of violence. Is that a main difference? I don't know. I'm literally, I'm just spewing out some words. What is the difference? So with sociopaths, I mean, I think they, the part there is, again, they have very similar similarities. They're not necessarily dangerous. You know, I, I think that's the idea the movies have kind of depicted for us, um, but not necessarily. So they're, again, invalidating. They lack empathy as well. Um, I think what I would say the key difference is, you know, insight. You know, um, I believe that someone who has nar- narcissistic, their insight is not present versus someone who has a, someone who is a sociopath um, where they still understand what they're doing the actions mm-hmm. are known you know and in in addition to that they are um, you know mm-hmm. I'm not using or using any names but I, I did read on a I think um, a post one time and you know it broke down what a sociopath really was and I felt like and they used you know a particular like CEO um, in an example and just to describe the behavior and saying, you know, of course, you don't have to be a criminal, meaning you don't have to kill anyone for you to be described as a sociopath with is what the movie sometimes depicts um, just to try to separate that. Oh, because you're killing and shooting people anyhow, right. you're necessarily that. But no, it's just there's, you know, at that point, your, your mindset is just to do evil or not to do anything that is good in terms of that. Right. Um, so you are your goal is to win. At no, you know, at, at any cost, mm-hmm. if you don't, it does not matter who comes in your way. You know, you're bringing them down. You know, you're like, I'm, I'm piercing through, I'm going through, and you know, I'm getting there no matter what. And so that is more the mindset for that. And they know what they're doing versus a narcissist who is, they have this ability, this um, entitlement. They want to be associated with, you know, power, um, with you know, celebrities and things like that. But their insight is really bad. They can't even tell, they don't even know what they're doing or when they're doing it, you know? And so these are things to kind of look at in terms of the differentiations with that. So they are ego dystonic. Ego dystonic, I would say that. Narcissist. And ego syntonic is a sociopath. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Going back to my studies years ago, but I remember I found, I remember I found that so fascinating, ego syntonic and ego dystonic. Okay. So um, let's talk about gaslighting, which is very common in narcissistic behavior. It is such a buzzword these days. I mean, I think people are definitely just overusing it 
maybe a little bit. So let's really talk about what it really is so that people can know and use it properly and watch out for it. No, absolutely. I think, you know, you hear it, you know, in conversation, oh, he's just gaslighting you, (laughs) you know, and really it's, it's a form of manipulation, you know, it's emotional abuse. um, And that's what it is. You know, it's, it's really like the hallmark of narcissism. A lot of times you think about it, you know, people who have narcissistic personality disorder, you know, they blatantly tell lies, you know, they're falsely accuse others of, you know, trying to like manipulate the truth of what, what it is. And so when you find the signs to look out for, when you know that you are in a gaslighting situation and you no longer feel like, um, you know, the person you used to be, you know, you're more anxious, less confident. Um, you know, maybe you walked into a relationship prior to that. You knew what you wanted. You knew you had your goals, your visions for yourself and you're in this relationship. And all of a sudden you doubt yourself, right? You feel like everything you do is wrong. You're not even sure what to say. You're constantly apologizing um, for things that, you know, it's, it doesn't even make sense. Right. And if your friends are around, they're like looking and like, are you okay? Like, you know, um, wondering what's happened to you. You know, there's that sense that there's just something wrong and it's just difficult to identify it a lot of times. You're constantly making excuses for your partner's behavior. Um, and that, again, you know, comes around to when, you know, I talk about abuse and what it does. It's really trying to have power and control. And that's what we see a lot of times with someone who is, you know, a narcissist. And in terms of when they're gaslighting you and, you know, you're they're just trying to make sure they suppress you to the point that you are feeding into their ego. You're feeding into who they want you to feel like, oh, they want to feel like they have power and control over you. And they're going to use whatever means, you know, it takes to be able to do that. And so they suppress you as the individual and even your self-esteem image, you know, all of that is literally taken away um, from you as the individual. And then that person who's getting abused feels so bad about themselves that when the other person in the relationship apologizes with the flowers and then they woo them back, they feel so grateful that they're feeling loved from this person. And then that's the cycle, right? That is the cycle, unfortunately, unfortunately. And, you know, it sometimes is hard if you don't have a really supportive family, friends to be able to see what's going on. Um, to help you. And sometimes it's hard as an individual because, you know, it's, it's, it's easier for someone who is not inside of it to say that, you know, oh, it's, you can just get out of it. You know, it's not that easy. You know, the person is in there. It's better to trust what you know than what you don't know. And this is sort of what they've known with no matter how long it's been whether it's a three-month relationship or a six-year relationship. And so, again, because your mind and the power of the mind, you know, it's, 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 it's powerful because they've suppressed the ability for you to even think outside of you and think like, oh, I can do this. I have power. I have control over this. Um, that's taken away from you, you know, with relationships like this. And so, you know, abuse could really be a very um, tumultuous and difficult thing to endure or go through as an individual. Yeah. And they get to the point where they don't even believe or know that they deserve more. Yes. It's as simple as that. If they really knew that they deserved more, they would leave and get more and what they deserve. But they've been so brainwashed and yes. they've left them. They've left and betrayed their authentic self, who they really are. Exactly. Yeah, they're so far away from knowing that. So that's the work you do, and that's the work I do in different yes. ways to help people just See. connect with themselves again. Yes, no, totally. It's um, it's it's never the easiest. I mean, that's for sure. <laughs> we know that. Um, a lot of times when they even present to us, it's you know, it's in the context of 
other things. They're presenting because they're either going through mood disorders, anxieties, and then you're engaging and then you're learning more and, you know, all these other things that are unfolding as you're in conversation with them. Um, and then, you, of course, you need to address everything, you know, because you're addressing the individual as a whole person. And so whether it's the anxiety they've come in with or the mood or just, um, you know, maybe it's a couple's relationship, you know, therapy, whichever one it is. So you identify all the different factors. And then when you do notice that, you encourage them that, you know, the best treatment really is therapy. <laughs> where that I think they really have to just come to that place of recognition and a place of willingness a lot of times it's not the easiest but you know with encouragement and you know if, if that person a lot of times by the time they're presenting to you some things are at stake um, and that's what we speak whether it's relationship or a career or you know opportunities that you know something they really want for, for themselves and that's mm-hmm. what really see them like, okay, I need to get fix this. <laughs> so. Yeah, with so many things in life, it's you have to hit rock bottom, whatever that is. And you hope that it's not as sometimes it is really rock bottom and horrible situations. But sometimes somebody's rock bottom is not life threatening or anything like that, but it's their own rock bottom and it's all relative. But they need to get to that point where they say enough is enough. Yes. I may, I need to make a change. I don't want to live the rest of my life like this. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I would love to, let me see if there's anything else on here. Um, I think we've covered a lot. I would love, I, it's always so inspirational to hear specific examples, maybe just one, whether it's um, a client who had addiction or was going through this narcissistic in a relationship with someone who is narcissist, who had narcissistic personality disorder, or just any client or patient that sticks out in your mind that kind of just came in in a really bad place. And then you just saw this beautiful transformation. Yeah, um, no, definitely. I think one actually sticks, um, comes to mind at this point. So again, you know, I do a lot of work with addiction and so uh, you know, addiction kind of runs with when you're, you know, you have a lot of ego issues, you know, you find yourself trying to use things to help kind of in terms of giving you that power and control again that we talk about. And so I think this particular individual had been, you know, one who had struggled with substances, um, you know, had was in a relationship for years, actually. And, uh, you know, one of the things you wonder is like, why did you stay with him? (laughs) But, you know, again, it's, you know, I think, you know, she was actually one who saved him, you know, um, you know, just staying with him and trying to make sure he got into treatment for his addiction. And then, of course, as we learn about the addiction, then we learn about who the individual was. So he had actually lost his job, um, you know, because he felt he was like, you know, you go to certain workplaces or, you know, in, uh, environments and um, he felt like he should be compensated better than what he was, Um something that just didn't go too well for him. And so, of course, it worsened the addiction at that point in time, got into treatment, you know, got the alcohol under control, which was great. And then, of course, now the the individual who you are underneath all of that alcohol comes out. And so we started to work on therapy with them. So a a lot of times the the biggest part is, you know, in terms of therapy, you're looking at psychoanalytic, it it could be the psychoanalytic um, psychotherapy or, you know, just psychodynamic therapy. Again, it's typically, it takes a while sometimes. And in this particular individual, it's not something that necessarily completed. And this was someone I actually met while I was in New York. Um, And so, 
um, you know, I think I worked with them up until I left um, New York. And so when you think about it, they actually had to go through severe lots of, you know, therapy is, it's not a one and done thing. And it's hard work, you also have to put in an effort. But as the clinician, you also have to be mindful of like transparency, making sure the person is ready to receive treatment, um, knowing that there will be, you know, block roads and head bumps just because of the disorder itself, which is what happens. They always feel like they want to have the best. Um, they want to communicate with the best. And so you have to be mindful of when those things slip in so that your own anger and your cancer yeah. come out. And you're like, okay, remember, it's the disease and it's not necessarily, um, you know, the person, but so much more um, the personality in itself. And so, you know, he did great, you know, in terms of, you know, yeah, there were definitely head bumps and throughout the process, process, but there was that willingness. And I think, like I said, he had a really supportive um, wife, which, like I said, you know, sometimes you need that right person, that angel that comes in. And for her, um, she played that significant role in there and um, was able to kind of just keep him on in terms of coming for treatment. Um, and he did well, you know, at the time we were, you know, I, I transferred his case to another um, therapist at that point in time, you know, he was in a place where he was, a, he had actually got another job at that, at that point in time, you know, so I am believing that, you know, things would have gone well um, for him, but, you know, that just understanding that it took years and it took a process. So it's not something that happened overnight. It was a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of hard work and you know, even on his end. So I, I, I think that for anyone who has narcissistic person, you know, I, I always say we all have some level of narcissism in us, you know, no matter what you are, you know, because there is a sense of accomplishment. But the point where it begins to affect your relationships, affects your career, affects all of those things are the parts that it plays in. And being mindful of that is the key thing so that you don't burn bridges with work, with, you know, relationships and things like that. So it does take time. Um, it's hard because a lot of times they don't identify that there's a problem until something really, you know, catastrophic, you know, occurs or just something that just really um, shakes them in a way that I know I, okay, I need help now um, kind of thing. So... Um, for this particular individual, like he did well at, at the time when I did transfer his case to another therapist. And so, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know you have your children. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I'll be there in five minutes. Go on. You're, you're fine. Okay. Yeah, I know. So that, you know, so I think for it, you know, for him, I believe that if he continued to maintain that, um, um, therapeutic alliance, you know, with the therapist that he was transferred to, he will continue to improve and do well over time. And which, you know, the question comes is, do narcissistic, do they change? People say that they never change. The problem is because there's a low percentage, very, very, very minute percentage of individuals that do well, or, you know, a lot of times it's really, really hard and difficult. So that's like one in a very, very rare case, you know? And so, um, it's 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 a tough it's a tough personality to have, but it's not impossible. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> would you like to say hi? Come over here. To say hi. Okay. Can you? I'm so sorry. Listen to me. I'll be there in five minutes. Okay. Okay. We're gonna wrap this up because <laughs> sure. Not a problem. Okay. So sorry. Um. For anyone who's watching and anyone who has a child and anyone who's been through COVID, this I know this is normal. It is absolutely okay. normal. So, <laughs> listen, you you are so wise and you have 
given us so much inspiration. I hope that anybody who's watching reaches out to you because this lady is amazing. Um, how do people find you? Let's talk about that website. Yes, it's um, drtola.com. It's at www.drtola.com. Okay, and Instagram. It's Instagram at drtolapsychmd. Yeah. Okay. And you reside in Boston, correct? I'm in Boston. Yes. Okay. So if people <laughs> wanted to see you in person. Yeah. So just go on the website and you can definitely make a book in there. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Mel. Yeah. And everyone can find me at the relationship expert.com. So thank you, Tola, for joining us today. Uh, and my son is um, <laughs> now making this a party. Um, it's okay. It's beautiful. <laughs> And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Tola. Hope everyone has a wonderful week. And join us every week. Love Talk Live on LA Talk Radio at 2 p.m. Pacific. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Tola. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on LA Talk Radio.